Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along, and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I think that there is always the danger that when you introduce any tech into the bedroom, then that's the thin end of the wedge for being tempted for that tech usage to escalate into areas which are not particularly conducive for sleep. Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with me, Tanya Goodin, the podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. Because we've all been This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and understanding why sometimes it's so hard to do. Because if we learn how to step away from our phones more, we'll be learning how to step in more to our lives, improving our relationships, our work and our health. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement Time to Log Off. Each week I'll be asking a new guest what they've learned about the relationship with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. This week we have a very long overdue episode on sleep because sleep and screens I would say is the number one thing that people ask me about when I have any kind of conversation about our tech habits. So very appropriate that we should devote an entire episode to it today. So I'm talking to Dr. Guy Leshner, who is consultant neurologist and clinical lead for the Sleep Disorder Centre at Guy's Hospital in London, one of Europe's largest sleep units. And we had a very wide ranging conversation about all aspects of sleep really, from why do we sleep the patterns of our sleep, has it changed over time? What kind of thing has affected um, the way and the patterns in which we sleep? The difference between night owls and larks, are there any qualitative differences between people who have different sleep patterns? 
and getting right to the nub of things, what's the truth about sleep and screens? Do those two mix? And other aspects of technology and screens, technology and sleep, what about sleep trackers? Are they helpful? Are they harmful? So I think this episode is going to answer all your questions about tech and sleep. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll all be prepared to get a really good night's sleep. So I hope you enjoy it. So Guy, welcome to It's Complicated. Thank you very much for having me, Tanya. I was just looking back through our episodes and we're on the fourth series now and I can't believe it's taken me this long (laughs) to have an episode devoted to sleep because it's the one thing everybody asks me about when I go and give talks, you know, either in the workplace or in schools. Everybody wants to know about the relationship between our screen habits, specifically in sleep. Yeah. So I thought I'd sort of kick off with, I'm sure, a really easy and straightforward question for you, Guy, Mm. um, which is, how much sleep do we really need? I thought you said easy and straightforward, Tanya. (laughs) Um, There was irony in my voice. Yes, (laughs) I I, I think that's a, a really difficult question to answer. Everybody expects people to trot out the kind of seven to eight or eight and a half hours. And I, I think that that quantity of sleep is probably a good guide point. But we know that there is huge variability between individuals as to how much sleep they require. And it is largely defined by our age in that our sleep requirement changes dramatically through our lives. But it's also related to genetics in that we know that there are genetic variants that influence how much sleep we actually need. There are genetic variants that result in really quite dramatic short sleep times. So I look after a couple of families, for example, in whom many people within the family can only sleep for about four or five hours and have no obvious negative consequences to that. Equally, there are some genetic variants that cause people to have a longer sleep requirement, sometimes nine, even 10 hours. I think that's uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's plenty of people. But, 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 but I think that the other thing is that many people who have a long sleep requirement actually have a long sleep requirement because they have some sort of problem with their sleep, either ah. in terms of sleep quality or something else that is disrupting their sleep, like medications or other illnesses. So why is sleeping important? I mean, apart from the fact that we all feel rubbish when we haven't had a good night's sleep. You're getting all the straightforward questions out of the way. Yeah, all the really easy, quick wins up front. Yeah. (laughs) Why do we sleep? Why do we sleep? Well, I I think the the short answer is we still don't fully know. The longer answer is there is there is more than one answer to that question because sleep has evolved over millions of years. Really, we know that even when one looks at single-celled organisms or you take a single cell out of your body and stick it in a Petri dish, the circadian rhythm, that is the 24-hour cycle, is hardwired into our genes. And mm. it's likely that that circadian rhythm has evolved from the initial universal ancestor of all life forms on earth so do all animals sleep there are no examples anywhere of animals that don't sleep they they all uh, exhibit behavior that is consistent with something akin to sleep 
and you know even if you look at plants there are genes that are that are regulated on a 24-hour cycle so the, the reason why I say this is it's likely that over millions of years with evolutionary pressure, actually sleep has become an opportunity for more complicated organisms like humans, mammals, generally those animals that are more complex on a, on a biological basis to shoehorn a number of regulatory functions into sleep. And if one looks at human beings, we now know that essentially sleep is fundamental to every biological process in our lives. Every aspect of our waking lives is influenced by our sleep. So anything from mental health, memory, emotional regulation, to blood pressure, appetite, uh, healing, the immune system, our brain health, so whether or not we are likely to have Alzheimer's disease in the future, a whole range of physiological parameters are regulated by sleep. So this is why I said it's not a very short answer. But I guess that's why sleep deprivation is such an effective form of torture, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the kind of, I hesitate to say traditional forms of torture, but it's a kind of accepted way of, you know, breaking somebody down if you deprive them of sleep. Yeah. I mean, um, you, can, you can go longer without food than you can go without sleep. Mm. Um, you know, this is this is absolutely fundamental to the maintenance of our biological integrity. And, you know, it, when it comes to things like torture, one of the things that sleep deprivation is very good at is causing uh, disruption of normal functioning of the brain. So both from an emotional perspective, but also from a cognitive perspective, which is why people, you know, tend to hallucinate, for example, if they are sleep deprived for too long. It's a very good way of breaking somebody. I'm not sure if it was in one of your books or somewhere else I read about um, the fact that actually we used to sleep in a slightly different way I think I'm right in saying a few hundred years ago that our sleep used to be broken in the early hours of the morning and we had something called a little sleep is that right? Yes well that wasn't in one of my books and the reason it wasn't one of my books is because it remains a somewhat controversial area as to what right. the evidence for that is I mean I think there are some people who say that historically there was a tendency to have two sleep something called biphasic sleep whereby people would go to bed sleep for a few hours then get up in the middle of the night do something and then go back yeah. to bed but if you look at pre-industrialized societies if you look at for example societies now where they don't have electricity we don't exhibit that pattern of sleep so it remains a somewhat controversial area yeah i suppose the reason i brought it up was just trying to see if there had been changes over time in the way that we sleep or the pattern that we sleep in i i guess one link is with as you say artificial light yes that you know in societies and parts of the world where we have you know we've got access to electricity we're not just sleeping when the sun sets um yes. but is that the main difference do you think over well, the last uh, kind of few hundred years well, I think even even that is relatively complicated because, of course, you know, a hundred years ago, the vast majority of us were sleeping on the floor on sacks stuffed with straw in unheated houses. Whereas now, of course, we most of us are in you know very nice, comfortable beds in nice, comfortable mm. bedrooms. So, so I think undoubtedly 
there are shifts in terms of our society when it comes to circadian rhythm. And what I mean by that is that, you know, obviously in pre-industrialized societies, people would tend to get up with the sunlight, with dawn. Uh, whereas now, because we are able to do other things in the evening when it's dark outside, that has probably shifted our internal biological clock backward a little bit. So we yeah. tend to go to sleep much later than we otherwise would. You actually had a case study in your book, didn't you, of that the secret world of sleep, of a disrupted circadian rhythm disorder, I think it was with a young boy. That's right, yeah. So, Vincent, so, was it Vincent? Yeah, Vincent, that's correct. Yeah. So Vincent is a young man who uh, actually resets his body clock so that it was running on a 25-hour rather than a 24-hour rhythm. So every day he would go to bed one hour later and wake up one hour later, which was fine for about one week of the month. But for the rest of the time, he was completely out of sync with the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think this, what we term a non-24-hour rhythm disorder, is actually quite rare in people. It's occasionally seen in people who are completely blind because they then lose you're one of the major drivers for regulation of your circadian rhythm which is external light but yeah. in people who are sighted it's actually incredibly rare but what's not rare is what's termed delayed sleep phase syndrome where people tend to go to bed very very late and wake up very late so these are people who are termed extreme night owls that that shift of our body clock is some, something that we very frequently see in teenagehood. Mm. So teenagers will often tend to go to bed very late and want to wake up very late. Now, whether they're allowed to wake up very late is a different matter because it's often as a result of uh, it's limited as a result of the fact that they have to get up to go to school or get up to go to work. But there are some individuals out there who separate from that sort of teenage shift become extreme night owls and so will often be unable to sleep before four or five in the morning and then will want to wake up in the early afternoon some of that is related to our behavior and some of that is related to our genetics so once again we know that our circadian rhythm is to some extent defined by our genes there are genes that influence whether or not we're morning larks so they yeah. have a tendency to want to wake up very early and go to bed very early or are night owls. But there are things in what we do on a day to day basis that also have a very strong influence. And light, coming back to your point about current society, is one of the very potent drivers for a shift in our biological rhythms. So that difference between larks and night owls, there's no connection between that and IQ, is, is what I'm hoping you're going to say, because I've always been made to feel a complete sloth by people who say they only need four hours sleep or they're up at, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm not one of those people. I'm definitely I, a night I, I, don't, I don't think you have to worry about your IQ. <laughs> or productivity. There's a real kind of trend at the moment to talking about, you know, getting up very early in the morning. And if you can get an extra two hours before everybody else wakes up, you're going to be more productive, more successful. For those of us who are night owls, that just feels like a stick, another stick to beat us with. Well, I, I, I think it's all about what the demands of society around you are in relation to your own circadian rhythm. So if there is nothing stopping you from getting up at 11, and going to sleep at two, then 
clearly you're not going to be any more sleep deprived than anybody else. And the, the major factors are going to be whether or not you can make phone calls during the day, whether or not you can have time to yourself. And there is an argument for saying, well, actually, if you're on a slightly different rhythm to everybody else, then you actually have some undisturbed time yeah, at either end of done. the day. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned just before we got into that kind of off tracks, like we were talking about adolescents mm. and their different kind of sleep requirements. And actually, I've been thinking a lot about this chicken and egg about screens in bedrooms, which mm. is the kind of thorny issue that I get asked about everywhere I go. Mm. And there's one really big piece of research from Cardiff University, which looked at adolescents between year seven and 11 about 80,000 of them and asked them the last time they were on screens at night before they went to bed. Mm. And about 10% of them said the last time they were on screens was 2am. Mm. So there's one school of thought that says, well, obviously it's the screen that's hyperstimulating, interfering with the melatonin, producing bursts of dopamine, making life so exciting that they mm. can't put them down. Then there's the other school, I imagine, that would say, Actually, adolescents have always been like that. They've always been awake at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, a large proportion of them have been. So slightly rambling question. What's your view on the whole kind of screens in bedrooms, teenagers and sleep deprivation issue? It's a bit of a vicious cycle, I think. And, you know, your point about chicken and egg very much illustrates that. So if you have a tendency towards going to bed a little bit late and waking up a little bit late, and you then start doing something that does two things, it first of all exposes you to bright light. And we know that bright light, particularly blue light, has an impact on the, your brain secretion of melatonin. Melatonin is the yeah. hormone that is produced by a gland in your brain called pineal gland which is a really important regulator of your biological rhythm of your internal body clock so you're suppressing your natural melatonin then you're likely to be making that problem worse but in addition and you alluded to this in your reference to to dopamine hits you're essentially you know if you are online you know particularly social media or, or things like that then that also provides significant mental stimulation and yeah. that is in itself going to make it more difficult for you to drift off to sleep so essentially you probably have a, a, a sizable proportion of young people who have a slightly delayed phase and by that i mean that they are their body clock is, is, is pushed back a little bit, but then they're doing lots of things in bed or in the evening that is going to make that much worse. Mm. Because it is a combination of underlying biology and also behavior as well. Yeah. And if they're last on screens at 2am and then they have to get up at 7am for school or even earlier than that, then we're back in that conversation about sleep deprivation again, aren't we? Exactly. Um, that actually it's not a good idea generally because it's stopping them sleeping. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, So what... Talking about that blue light and melatonin, I get asked a lot about yellow light filters, so glasses that you can get and night shift you can enable on your phone. Have you seen any evidence that that makes any difference? Well, I think that the, the first thing to say is that a lot of the studies that have been done look at melatonin secretion rather than a direct translation into into sleep. And there does remain some controversy within the field as to how important the light issue is compared to how important the mental stimulation issue mm. is. What we certainly know is that these uh, many of these tools that are used to apparently reduce the amount of blue light in what we're looking at, so things like night shift mode and there are a couple of other apps actually intrinsically make very little difference to the degree of suppression of your melatonin and actually Mm -hmm. what you need to be doing is you need to be reducing the contrast of the device that you're looking at right down Um, when you say contrast you mean the brightness to grayscale or just the brightness the brightness so in addition to any apparent blue light reduction app you also need to be reducing the brightness of your screen right down But there is a separate argument about whether it is the light or whether it's the mental stimulation that is most important in terms of the deleterious consequences on sleep. And no, no yellow glasses, no app, no reduction of brightness is going to get away from the fact that what you're doing is you're spending an awful lot of time in bed, which you should associate with being asleep, doing something very active and very stimulating. It's really difficult to know how we could ever separate those two to be able to work out the different impact. You know, if you're looking at light on a screen versus stimulation, I I would think an experiment to how you design an experiment to take away the stimulation but still have the light or vice versa would be quite hard. Well, I, I think it's doable. It's just a challenge. So another aspect of tech and sleep is the thorny issue of sleep trackers. And I was actually really interested, you said somewhere in your book, I think, that we're notoriously bad at judging our own sleep or having a, you know, a kind of sense of 
what's happening to ourselves when we sleep. And actually, I'm a perfect example of this because I went through a phase a couple of years ago, I think, when I suddenly decided I wasn't getting enough sleep. So I used a sleep tracker and found, in fact, that I was sleeping very soundly Mm. (laughs) for seven hours each night, according to Mm. the sleep tracker, which I immediately abandoned and didn't use after that and thought, oh, I obviously just have this kind of idea that I'm not sleeping. But everyone is getting very excitable about using them. What is your view on sleep trackers? Do they help in any way or are they a really bad idea? Uh, I have to say my my view is, is somewhat cynical. I think that we live in an era where we want to quantify ourselves. We want to measure ourselves in, you know, in every parameter. And obviously, sleep is one of those areas that has had renewed interest, and therefore there is a, you know, clear commercial interest in encouraging us to use these sleep trackers. The slight difficulty, well, there are a number of difficulties that are associated with sleep tracking. The first is that. The subjective experience of sleep and objective measurement of sleep are often vastly different. So even when we use techniques like uh, polysomnography, which is the gold standard for measuring sleep, where we measure brain waves, respiration, heart rate, a variety of other different physiological measures to measure sleep, we know that there is often a rather poor correlation between what we find on objective testing and what people report back. The the second issue is that that sleep trackers are not that reliable, at least not at the moment. So some are better than others. Some use more measures than others to try and calculate sleep. But by and large, whilst they're very good at telling us when we're in bed and when we're keeping still, what they're less good at is telling us how much sleep we've actually got, whether or not we've woken up during the night. And certainly for some sleep trackers on the market, what stage of sleep we're in is really no more accurate than tossing a coin. They're Mm. they're very, very unreliable. So for people uh, who use sleep trackers, often they are encouraged to use sleep trackers because they have some difficulties with their sleep. And sometimes, and the situation I've seen on many, many occasions, is that people who have a tendency towards poor sleep or a tendency towards insomnia start using these sleep trackers on a regular basis. And there are really two consequences to that. The first is it makes people fixate slightly on sleep and the process of going off to sleep. It increases their obsessionality about sleep, which in itself then creates some sleep-related anxiety and makes the problem yeah. much worse. It's not very relaxing, is it? It's, to... not, it's not relaxing Sorry, at all. It's about sleep. Yeah. And also, if you kind of are told in the morning by your sleep tracker, rightly or wrongly, you've had an awful night's sleep, then that can actually influence your own perception of sleep quality. You know, I describe yeah. this as the quantum physics of, of medicine. Uh, essentially, whatever you're measuring purely by the process of measurement can alter your experience of what it is you're measuring and and the second issue is that because of that unreliability of the output that your sleep tracker is making that can also sometimes lead you to imagine that there are problems with your sleep where there really aren't so you know the other situation in which you might want to use a sleep tracker is if you think you might be a bit sleep deprived but quite frankly, if I'm being brutally honest, you don't need a sleep tracker to tell you your sleep. Tell you that. <laughs> yes. yeah. If yeah. you are waking up feeling unrefreshed, but you've had yeah. no difficulty That's getting off sleep or waking up, <laughs> then you know it's likely that if you extend your sleep opportunity, you will feel better. Yeah. So 
kind of using night shift, using sleep trackers, a couple examples of maybe not altogether positive uses of tech and health uh, and sleep. Have you come across any kind of useful applications around sleep? I I always get asked about ASMR videos and soundtracks. Kids seem to be absolutely obsessed with those at the moment and claim they can't sleep without them. And the headspace using an app for kind of, you know, meditation just before bed. You know, what are your views on positive applications of tech around sleep? Well, I think that there are positive applications. I think that there is always the danger that when you introduce any tech into the bedroom, then that's the thin end of the wedge for being tempted to for that tech usage to escalate into areas which are not particularly conducive for sleep. But 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 certainly there are a number of applications that some people find very helpful, you know, listening to podcasts that are, are relaxing. Yeah. Uh, listening, you know, using tech for mindfulness-based relaxation therapy. You know, one of the most widely used platforms for a treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is internet-based. And this is something that your NHS GP can prescribe to you. But yeah. I think that many of these apps that are useful are used during the day outside the bedroom, and then you apply what you've learned to the bedroom to Mm. to avoid that temptation of escalating tech usage within the bedroom so do you yourself as an expert in this area do you have a no screen in the bedroom policy well i try to but obviously you know i'm on call every so often and need to have my mobile phone uh, next to the bed in the middle of the night and that does tend to to creep into weeks when i'm not on call i know what i should do do I always do it? Uh, the honest answer is no. <laughs> Me too. I have to, I have to admit I'm a work in progress around all of this as well. Yeah. I found your book absolutely fascinating. I, I my my jaw was dropping at some of the stories in there. It is actually just such a good read. One of the things I wondered because you've been working in this area such a long time you know these are quite kind of extreme examples in your book but I see headlines all the time saying we're in the middle of a sleep deprivation epidemic I Mm. think I saw a headline where the NHS said I think it was about three years ago that you know they felt this generation of children were the most sleep deprived are you seeing any trends over time in the course of your career around sleep do you think it's true that we're sleeping less our Um, sleep quality is deteriorating well, I, I think that there certainly are some trends. I'm not sure that I would put it in some in such dramatic terms. You know, look, kids have always been a bit sleep deprived. You know, in, in the olden days, we would be reading a book with a torch yeah, under the with cover. A torch. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. um, and, and certainly, I think tech doesn't help because it doesn't allow people to switch off. Some yeah. of that, some of that is related to the nighttime, but some of that is also related to our usage during the day in that it's changing the way that we think it's changing our attention spans and it's having you know really quite broad implications on how our minds develop in our youth i i I think that there are some trends for example a bigger issue i suspect is the fact that we as a society are getting more and more obese yeah, I and, noticed and, still a bit about sleep apnea, actually. Yeah. But that was really interesting. Yeah, And, and, I, and I think that, that actually that does increase the prevalence of, of sleep apnea. If you look at sleep apnea prevalence charts over the last 30 or 40 years, 
you know, there is a really quite dramatic rise in how frequently obstructive sleep apnea presents within the population. Mm. But, but I think there's another aspect of this in that we are talking much more about sleep and people are much more aware of sleep. And so therefore, they're much more likely to go and see their doctor if they have a sleep issue, which is a healthy thing. It means that yeah. actually people recognize the importance of sleep and are trying to get help. Now, whether or not that help is always available is a, is a different matter. But the very fact that people are aware of the importance of sleep, I think, is a very good development. And I guess it's analogous to what's happened with mental health over the last few years, that we talk about it more. Yes. Um, and the tendency is to think, are we suffering from more mental health conditions? But it may be, just as you say, with sleep, that actually just we're more willing to talk about it. I think there are very, very it. clear parallels. Absolutely. So I always end the podcast with asking you three questions about your own tech habits, guys. Oh, so. dear. OK. <laughs> am, am I um, I'd better not let my kids listen to this. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the one thing you would like to say? And actually, I'm really interested. Sorry, I'm just going to go off on a tangent here. You were talking about how our habits during the day also impact on our sleep at night so it's not we shouldn't just be thinking about sleep as something we suddenly do at 10 o'clock at night but we should be presumably preparing for it in our habits during the day so I don't know if that might be connected but what's the one thing you'd like to say to people about their kind of screen habits that might have an impact on their sleep or just something completely unconnected to sleep so I think that the key thing when it comes to sleep is is really just think about, as you said, that the process of going to sleep doesn't start at the, at the moment that you switch the light off and your head hits the pillow. Actually, people do need some downtime before they go to sleep. And, you know, I would encourage people to stop using gadgets, you know, for at least an hour or so before they go to bed. You know, if you're one of those lucky individuals who, no matter what they do, can always uh, fall asleep at the drop of a hat, then don't worry about it. But carry on mo- using yeah. them. Yeah. But, but, but for most, but for most of us, actually, you know, think about what you're doing in the hour or two before bed, because it does have implications on your sleep. Um, and have you got a tip or a habit that you haven't shared around getting a good balance with tech? Um, what do you do? Do you have any kind of tricks that you impose on yourself that well, kind of helps you use it in a way that's healthy? I think I think my my use of tech is is if I'm being brutally honest, is not particularly healthy. Uh, every so often, I delete a whole load of apps on my phone and I switch off my notifications, uh, and then it has a tendency to to creep back. But you know, as long as I, I do that every so often, then I think that that at least is a move in the right direction. What I would, sort of apps are the ones that creep onto your phones? What's well, onto your phone? you, what are... you, usually newspapers, and at the moment, ah, reading, yes. reading newspapers is not particularly good for your for your mental health. No, um, or sleep. Yes. Or, or, or or sleep. Uh, I I what I would dearly love to do in another world is actually uh, uh, find my old Nokia handset from about fifteen years ago, which is simply for phoning and doing nothing else. But uh, unfortunately, work wouldn't allow that. 
Yeah, there's actually a bit of a trend around those, what they call dumb phones now. I had a a 15-year-old boy came up to me in a school talk I did just before lockdown, showing me very proudly his Nokia phone, saying he deliberately moved to that phone because he wanted to kind of disconnect, which I thought was fascinating. And what have you learned about yourself from the way you engage with the digital world and your smartphone? Any kind of surprises along the way? I think no surprises, but really, you know, it has made me acutely aware of the link between the way that I use tech and my own sleep. I would love to say that I'm one of those individuals who sleeps perfectly every night, but I don't. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly very aware of the connection between my own use of tech and my own sleep. Yeah, no, me too. Even though I've said that I love my sleep and I'm a good sleeper I also know that if I've been on my phone for too long or too late at night I definitely don't sleep as well there's a definite connection between the two I want to say really huge thank you to you but I first before I do that I want to put a little plug in for your book The Secret World of Sleep Journeys Through the Nocturnal Mind which is really really riveting some of the stories as I said were so fantastical (laughs) I mean they read like kind of almost fairy stories I couldn't quite believe them but yeah really fascinating what goes on when we sleep it really opened my eyes Um, so I want to recommend everybody to go out and get that I'm glad you enjoyed it Tanya yeah I did I thought Othello syndrome was really interesting I'm not going to tell everyone what that is but (laughs) go and read the book I loved that particular chapter Um, so thank you very much thanks Tanya thanks for having me on Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.